there is uh, not a junior church today, so just enjoy keeping our young ones with us. Well, we are just in our second day of looking at our study of the book of Genesis, and today, starting at verse 14, um, reading days uh, 4 through 6 of Genesis. So this is uh, verse 14 through 25, actually just the opening part of the sixth day of creation. So let us give attention now to God's Word from Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 14. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And may God today impress upon our hearts and our minds the truth of his word. As we come to day four of creation, we discover some new things about God's work. We discover some new things about God. But we also come across some familiar things, things we have already seen in days one and two and three of God's creation. The familiar things, well, God creates by his word. Each day God speaks and creation happens. So God said, let there be, and there was, by God's command, out of nothing, but by only his powerful word. There was on day four, sun, moon, stars of the sky. A couple stars, Millions and millions of stars. We hear again on this day the recurring refrain from God. It is good. That word good can mean beautiful and purposeful. This is God's declaration that what he is doing, all he is making, has value and effectiveness. It it pleases him. It serves him. 
But there are some different things that are beginning to unfold on day four. On day four, we begin the process, God begins, and <laughs> we begin to see it, uh, of God filling that which he has formed and given structure to in the first three days of creation. Remember the problem. What was the problem? The earth was formless and void. Two things. It didn't have structure, and it was empty. And so, as we saw last time, the first three days of creation are God creating the structure, dealing with that formlessness. And now, days four, five, and six, God is going to fill that which he has formed. And, and each of the next days will correspond to something in the first three days. So, day four is going to fill the structure that God created on day one, and so on. So, notice our passage, Genesis 1, verses 16 and 18. It says, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So this creation of sun, moon, and stars is that filling, focusing, concentrating of what God did on day one. On day one there was light, but now we see that focused and categorized within those particular lights. These verses um, we hear over multiple times the creation of sun, moon, and stars. But did you notice sun and moon are not named? It's almost like Moses, the human author, is, is intentionally trying to not say the sun. Was there no Hebrew word for sun? Was there no word for moon? Of course there was. But something very significant is going on here. Ancient creation stories from other religions regarded the sun and moon and also the stars as gods. They weren't created. They just were. They were to be worshipped. Their name was sacred. And so Moses does not name the name. He does not say the name, so there is no misunderstanding or confusion with other religions and what other religions would think of them. Remember Moses. When God called him to lead the people of God out of Egypt, and God used Moses to bring ten plagues on Pharaoh and to convince Pharaoh that he should obey God and release the Hebrew people. Those ten plagues, it has been noted, are related to the gods of Egypt. And one of those gods, one of the primary gods, was the sun. And so one of the plagues was darkness, darkness covering the land. Moses, again, this human author, would well remember, would he not? <laughs> would Moses not remember as God is leading him to, to write these words about the creation of that thing in the sky, that bright thing. No, we're not going to name it. We're not going to confuse the gods of Egypt and the audacity of Pharaoh to set himself over the Almighty. It is the greater light. <laughs> well, the creation of the sun and moon and stars reveal other truths as well from our passage. 
Not just this, again, lordship of God over all. Verse 14, kind of stepping back a bit. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So the creation of the sun and the moon and the stars is likewise the creation of time. Right? Their presence, the, uh, the sun, the moon, the stars, their presence and the, and the movements of these heavenly bodies form days and years. Right? You live in time. It's hard to imagine life outside of time, isn't it? But time is a creation. Time is one of those things God has created to serve him. We should remember as we think of this, that as God creates the visible material world, God also is creating many invisible things. He's creating laws and principles that govern those things. So again, time is an example. We look at the stars and we, and we recognize the moon. We might not want to look too closely at the sun, but we recognize these things. God made the stuff. But do you see what's going on here? In making the stuff, God is also creating all the principles and laws that govern the stuff. True of light itself, right? There, there are laws that govern light. There are laws of motion and laws of sound. There are things like gravity and magnetic forces. There's reproduction and, and development. God made molecules. They're not as obvious or easy to see. But God made all the principles and forces that govern molecules. And on and on we could go. I encourage you to take some time this week and as you are in God's creation, and to think about the material things that God created. Take a moment to also try to recognize what, what invisible thing is related to that visible thing. Right? What, what kinds of dynamics did this good, wise, glorious God create in the world in which we live? For all of creation is to lead us and prompt us to praise God for these wonderful riches. Right? That leads to another aspect of light and time that was mentioned in the passage. Remember it said that God's, uh, God's words were, let them be for signs and seasons. The creation of the sun, moon, and stars are for signs. Signs point to God. And cause praise. So we talk a lot about the sacraments here. and That's the same point of a sacrament, right? The, the, the purpose of a sacrament is to point to God, whatever the sacrament is. And so the, the sacrament of baptism doesn't point to a person. It doesn't point to a person's experience. It points to God's grace in Jesus Christ, the one who washes, the one who gives life by his grace. So the signs of creation, these, these particular things, it's true of all things, but here it's highlighted in the sun and moon and stars. They are signs to cause us to worship God. Notice Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. So that's the signs. But remember what we just read, it's not only for signs, these aspects of God's creation, sun, moon, and stars, are for seasons. Did you notice that? Now when you hear the word seasons, what do you think of? might naturally think of the four seasons, right? Another sense of time, and that wouldn't be totally wrong, but that probably is not what the word seasons means in Genesis chapter 1, because the word seasons is actually appointments or gatherings, even sacred assemblies. So speaking of the role of the priest in the tabernacle, uh, we read in Exodus 30, verse 20, When they go into the tent of meeting, speaking of the priest, or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord, they shall wash with water so that they may not die. But here's the thing, that word uh, in the phrase tent of meeting, meeting, the word meeting is the same as season in Genesis chapter 1. And likewise in Leviticus, we read this, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2, so speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feast. That word appointed is, is seasons. So when the Bible says that God created the, the sun, moon, and stars, sky for signs to point to him, to glorify him, and for seasons, they are not just marking and describing ordinary time. We've already seen that in days and years, but this is for sacred assembly. What God has created is is to be part of a rhythm of knowing him. Combine that with the fact that the word for light, when God said, let them be for signs and assemblies, is a different word than what was used on day one of creation. Remember, God created light, But now he says of the sun and the moon and stars, let them be for lights. That's a different word. And that different word is actually the the same word that's used for lamps in the temple. Very specific kind of word. And we wonder, what's going on? We have a call for sacred assemblies. We have these lights that are going to be used in the temple of God. And what we're going to see, something very important, what God is doing in creation is creating a type of temple. The world is going to be his place where his people gather to serve him, know him, and honor him. And that will come out. In fact, literally on that, especially on that seventh day, God rested not because he's tired, but because of this sacred season, this assembly, these sacred lights that are calling and other things that we'll be learning in the days of days ahead. Well, let's go to day five. Genesis 1, verses 20 and 21. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So day five is filling, remember the days correspond, this is filling the structure that was created on day two, 
of the sky and the sea. So we have animals of the sky and animals of the sea. The refrain from God, once again repeated, it was good. Now think about this. And we've mentioned already good can mean beautiful and purposeful. But every dimension of God's creation is what? It's good. And as this creation is filling up, it's good. The, the fullness of the creation is part of the goodness. Each individual thing is good, but collectively, the fullness of it is good. Again, did God create a few stars? No. How many swarming things that swarm, right? Does it get the idea? There's, there's lots of things swarming in the sea. There's lots of birds flying in the air. And, and, and they didn't just kind of come one at a time, right? They didn't just kind of leak from stage to stage. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? <laughs> Here is an explosion, an eruption of many, many, many fish of the sea, birds of the sky. And in this fullness that comes quickly, powerfully, it is good. And that is its goodness. Genesis 1 of that day, uh, verses 22 and 23, the day continues with the words, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas, let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Blessing. Blessing is the first word God speaks to his creation. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. God has spoken, right? He's spoken about the creation. What did he say over and over again? It's good. He's, he, is, he is speaking about the creation. He is, he is speaking as he commands and forms the creation. But now he speaks to his world for the first time. And what is the word? blessing. Isn't that beautiful? That God's not only declaring all things good, but his first word to his creation is blessing. And maybe a little curious, who's he giving this blessing to? Not at first to people. People haven't been created yet. He's blessing. He's giving his blessing to the animal kingdom, to that which he has made. We also see a clear description here in day five of reproduction in the creation. It was mentioned in the plant kingdom as life produced life through the seed that God formed and the process God designed, but now we have it in the animal kingdom. And this reproduction of life producing life is good. It's part of that, it's part of that both filling and structuring of life. Day six passage continues, verses 24 and 25. God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Well, day six is broken into two parts. The first is the creation of the land animals. The second, we'll look at next week, a more focused description on the creation of people. But again, this is the filling of the land that God created on day three. So day six corresponds to day 
3. We also see on this day a phrase, again, mentioned earlier, but look at it now, that phrase, according to their kinds. Uh, kinds of animals is another form of structure that God is weaving into his creation. And the kindness, not kindness like you're a kind person, but the kindness is a part of God governing his creation. It's, it's one of those invisible creations. Right? When you look at a dog, <laughs> there is dogness, right? And you can say, God created dogs according to their kind. Are there variations of dogs? Sure. Do dogs, can dogs change over time? Yes. The dogs become cats? No. <laughs> Why? Because God, in his great wisdom and power, and for his glory, created kinds. Right? And this, too, again, is just part of that marvelous provision of God. What does it all mean for us? Two main things. And we've really seen them both already. First, we look at this creation, we think of this creator, and we are to respond with praise and worship to him for the great diversity, the great beauty, the great power, all these qualities of, of our Lord. Psalm 95, verses 4 to 6 say of God, In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountain are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands form the dry land. This is the creation. What's the response? Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. That's the response to worship and to praise and, and ignoring God's presence, not worshiping him, not serving him, is a blatant Get this, it is a blatant rebellion against what is plainly known. That's what we heard in our New Testament reading from Romans chapter 1. It's not incidental. It's not like you can just flow through life and think, hmm, I see that. And I, no, I don't see that. No, God's creation is speaking loudly, calling you to bend the knee, to humble your heart, to call on him and to know him. But there's a second application and point as well. An awareness of God's creation is also meant to, to help you trust God's care, to believe God's provision for all of your life. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, we question we read a few weeks ago, talks about the decrees of God. The decrees are, of God are his, his will and his design for creation. But one of the questions said that, how does God fulfill the decrees? And there are two things in that answer. Creation and providence. Right? We're thinking about creation and how God creates. But creation and providence are always yoked together. Why? Because what God makes, he cares about. He calls it good. He's invested in it, and he will redeem it. So creation and providence always go together. The God who creates is the God who sustains. The God who makes is the God who promises. The God who is out there 
There's also the God right here with us. One of the greatest testimonies of God's providence comes from a man named William Cooper. If you've seen his name before, you probably think it's William Cowper, but it's actually pronounced Cooper. He wrote the hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. It's about the great providence of God. But part of the providence of God is just the story of this man's life, that he would even have the faith and the hope to write such words. His life was filled with so many deep and difficult challenges. Cooper was born in 1731 near London, England. His father was a minister, actually served as a chaplain for King George II. But uh, Cooper's father was not really a believer. Young William, his mother died when he was just six years old. His father sent him off to boarding school. He had many painful, uh, unfortunate circumstances during those years. He was bright and a capable student. He studied law and with his father's encouragement uh, was to pursue that career. William Cooper himself was not a believer in those early years. And the most probably significant thing to say about him was the great anxiety and deep depression that marked his life. William fell in love with a woman, but the father, her father would not allow the marriage to take place. Both William and the woman remained single for the rest of their lives and carried a deep, heavy sense of loss because of that. William described what his bouts of depression were like. This was from his earlier adult years. He said, I was struck with such a dejection of spirits as none but they who have felt the same can have the least conception of. Day and night I was upon my bed, lying down in horror, rising up in despair. I presently lost all relish for those studies to which before I had been attached. The classics had no longer any charms for me. I had need of something more than amusement, but I had no one to direct me where to find it. William, through his family influence, was given the opportunity to get an important job in the government, his law background help. But as he uh, approached the exam that was required, he became increasingly anxious, and he started to try to take his life. One of the stories of William Cooper is he was asked to ask the driver to take him to the London Bridge. He was going to jump off of it and end his life. It just so happened there was a great fog that day. The driver never did find the bridge and ended up taking him back to his home. But William did continue to try to harm himself, and in one of those attempts, it was very clear that his career in government was over. William was sent to a mental institution, a hospital, and one day there he found a Bible. It was on a bench, and he opened it up, and he read the account of Lazarus being raised from the dead. He was touched for, he said, that showed him the mercy of the Savior, and he knew there was something he needed. He turned to the Bible again and opened to Romans 3, verse 24, where he read these words, Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, to be received by faith, which was to show God's righteousness. And it was reading that verse that Cooper said he was immediately converted, and he described it this way, The full beams of the sun of righteousness shone upon me. 
I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he, that is Christ, had made. My pardon sealed in his blood and all the fullness and completeness of his justification. Cooper became a Christian. He was able to regain his mental health and left the institution. He ended up in a town called Olney, a very interesting town because that was the town where a man named John Newton just happened to be the pastor. Yes, that John Newton. (laughs) Newton recognized Cooper's gift as a poet and encouraged him to, to write hymns as a way to deal with that ongoing discouragement he faced. And Cooper wrote many hymns. Uh, over 60 in a short period of time. Well, John Newton, uh, you may recall, had lost his own mother when he was the same exact age, six years old. Newton did not spend years battling depression, but he spent years battling the evils of being a slave trader, living for selfish desires. Newton had a dramatic conversion to Christ, and along with writing hymns like Amazing Grace, John Newton became a pastor, and he ended up in that town of Olney, where he would become Cooper's pastor for many years. They would produce a hymnal together. At one point, finally, Newton moved to another town, took another church, but even apart from Cooper, he continued to try to encourage him and counsel him. They had extensive written correspondence together. It would be nice to say that Cooper got beyond the challenge of the discouragement and depression, but he did not. But he also did continue to hold on to the Lord. Along with his poetry and writing hymns, he left us one of the great musical pieces about the providence of God. And again, just think of that, of all people, to write about the providence of God. Not a person who had everything going or had life smooth and easy, but one who faced these difficulties of so many different types. Notice how Cooper's trust in God is related to God's handiwork in creation. Why? Because again, creation and providence always go together. The opening verse, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. We are called to see In all God's works of creation, the sustainer, the redeemer. Why do you think about the creator? It's the right thing to worship him. But you think of him so that you would know the one who sustains you, the one who redeems you and his purpose in doing so. The song continues, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds ye so much dread. Are you dreading clouds? They are big with mercy and shall break, though, in blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Perhaps like like Cooper, you know the clouds. Perhaps like him, you've tasted the bitter bud. But like Cooper, you can also know the flood of blessings and the sweetness of the flower. Blessings and sweetness that come from God alone. Friends, may that be true for us 
as we rest in the mighty power of God who made us. He made you. (laughs) He made all. And the grace of the Lord Jesus who redeems us and saves us and is with us today. May it be so. Amen.